This episode is sponsored by BodyTrack. If you are in the golf industry and let's say you're trying to figure out reasons behind speed increases, more efficient ways to improve short game and looking to check out some application and example lessons of folks using data from the ground like center of pressure, vertical force, pressure traces, our friends over at BodyTrack have just re-released their amazing course and certification on the interaction between the golfer and the ground. I know that hundreds of you have already signed up and don't worry, you can go watch the new content and even an example lesson with yours truly uh, at no additional cost. Uh, I was there at the filming this past year in Birmingham, Alabama. It was fantastic. The course and certification is one of the best done out there. The quality is amazing. The best instructors, I mean, you got Sasho, you've got Mark Blackburn, you've got other other great folks pouring into that. And the online portal is really nice, easy to go through, watch all the stuff and, and get learning. Check out the link golfsciencelab.com slash body track. That will redirect you to the page you need to go to. And we have a, an awesome GSL exclusive discount. A good chunk of, of money is being taken off of that course cost uh, when you go through that. And we just uh, thank you to body track for sponsoring golf science lab, having myself down to check that out last year is really, really fun. And uh, they've posted that example lesson with Mark and myself, where we were looking at uh, fades and draws on center pressure data. So even if you're not interested in the course, go check that out at that link. And if you are, I hope you sign up. Let me know what you think. Thank you again. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to the leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. On today's podcast, we are diving into what makes great players great. How do they develop skills? What mindsets were most important? And really try to figure out how they reach the success that they have. And the tentative name of this series is how to be a tour pro that you can hear throughout the year. And today we're sitting down with Hal Sutton. A quick rundown. He is the 1980 USA Amateur Champion, PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 1982. 1983 PGA Championship winner at Riviera and had won 13 other tournaments through 2001. He endured a, a slump, which is part of his story, for nine years where he went without winning, and he has played on four Ryder Cup teams. He's one of the legends of the games, and he has so much to share if you are a junior golfer, parent, or coach. Listen up. The mental game fascinates me when we look at how do we perform at our best? What are the, the strategies and tactics that it really takes to unlock best performance? That's why I was really excited probably over a year ago that we partnered with Dr. Greg Carton to develop our Mindfulness for Golf online program. Dr. Greg Carton, if you don't know, he's a sport performance consultant. He works with a lot of players on the PGA Tour that you know and have heard of and is really out there doing this work on a, on a daily basis to help people perform at their best. So we took those conversations that he has with folks, we took those core concepts and, and created a course out of it. And on April 16th, we are kicking off our spring session. So to go along with our course, we do some live group coaching so that you can get your questions answered and we can guide you through that course a little bit better. It's an awesome opportunity to kick off your season, get some of that foundational training going. Head over to golfsciencelive.com slash mindful to get all the details for this course, and I hope to see you this spring in it. 
I'd rather teach a kid to run through a brick wall with grit than I had to be perfect. You know, trying to be perfect is uh, is daunting. I mean, I don't know. So perfect in who's I? You know, everybody's got a different opinion on perfect. His perspective, I found, is profound. And he's obviously spent a lot of time thinking about how to help educate and empower the next generation of golfers to develop and grow. So let's get into his story and find out what makes him tick. I played every sport until I was 16 years old, and then I basically just started playing golf after that. But prior to that, I was playing golf just as a pastime. When I wasn't doing some other sport, I was playing golf. And I played on a little nine-hole golf course there in Shreveport that was... uh, less than most people's nice courses that they grow up on, you know, and maybe a bad light didn't bother me as much as a bad light bothers some people today, you know. So I certainly wasn't in an entitled world where I grew up there. So I think that helped me rather than hindered me is what I'm saying. A guy that got me started was a uh, a good friend of my dad's, gave him a set of clubs and said, Hal's a pretty good athlete, you need to get him to play golf. And so my dad gave me the clubs, and a guy that worked for my dad took me to the golf course the first time, and I got hooked up, played 54 holes the first day, and walking 54 holes. So, you know, I was, I, you would call me hooked. I was 11 years old when I did that. But, you know, I was still hooked on all the other sports as well. So I played golf when I had time. I love the perspective here of how kept playing golf, in his words, when football wasn't going on. And he actually ended up winning the Louisiana State Junior when he was 16, you know, without much focus or attention put on his golf game. Well, I was still playing kind of as a uh, when football wasn't going on. And uh, I won the Louisiana State Junior one summer and I had not even really Maybe I'm better at this than I thought I was. And so after I won that tournament, I began to get interested because I got some notoriety from doing it. So I thought, okay, I'll just play golf. And that's kind of when I started focusing on golf. So you won at that age without really having uh, you being too dedicated toward it. How would you say that you won that? Or how would you develop enough skill and enough talent to, to be able to do that? I don't know, actually, to be honest with you, because at that point, I wasn't really dedicated. I was just playing every day, and I had nobody teaching me the game, just trying to work on hitting a solid golf shot is really all I was working on. It's interesting. Chase and I were talking about that today at lunch. You know, in those days, all I really wanted to do was hit one solid shot after another. And, you know, I wasn't thinking about the dynamics of where the club was or where my body was or anything else. I mean, I was just letting the feel tell me whether it was right or wrong. You said something interesting there. You're playing every day though, even though it was casual, you're getting out to the course a lot. Yeah, well, I didn't have anything else to do. So, you know, I was doing what I had to do. What do you think, thinking back, like what was a typical day? Did you practice? Was it just all playing golf? Was it? All playing, all playing. I'd play 36 holes a day, probably. You know, in those days, Cordy, you don't know anything about this because I can tell you're pretty young. (laughs) We had red striped golf balls and they had a cut in them. That was the range ball. The range was about 200 yards long. That's all there was because they didn't use space for ranges. Now we have, you know, ranges that are glorified golf courses almost, you know. 
So you won the the state AM at 16. What did you decide to do after that? Or was that a turning point in kind of your, your game then? That was a turning point because I decided that I was going to work harder and a, a more dedicated effort at trying to do it too. What does that mean? How did you get more dedicated? What was the effort that you put in? Well, I started practicing differently. I, I went to see Harvey Pinnock when I was 17 years old to get a lesson. You know, I started, it mattered to me what other people thought all of a sudden. So Hal just played a, a ton of golf, 36 holes a day, and was just out there figuring it out. He started practicing, and that looked a, a lot differently than what junior golf typically looks like right now. I did everything differently than they do it today. Now, I'm not saying if I had everything that they have today that I wouldn't do it differently now. I didn't have what people have today. I had blurred video. I had an uneducated eye, and I had a golf ball and a golf club. That's all I had to do this with. I would say that would be, in today's environment, they'd call that very limited. Yeah. And, you know, these kids today have no idea. You know, if we lost it in those days, we had to literally turn over every rock and every leaf everywhere for months on end to find a feel that we had six months ago. Now we can quantify feel with three-dimensional golf. So there'd be no such things if these kids are dedicated to being off for six months. You, I mean, you can't find your golf swing? No kidding. It's right in here in the computer. Let me show you. <laughs> so I didn't have that sort of stuff. Do you think that was a, a benefit because you learned to struggle through that and find it yourself? Or do you see that as beneficial now? Well, I don't know what's right or wrong. That's really an interesting, uh, I, I talk about that all along. I'm, you know, I was at the Payne Stewart Award and just got back last night late. Nick Price and I were talking about this. You know, we dug it out of the dirt. We don't know if we could have done it any other way. You know, that's just the way we did it. And, you know, I'm going to go back and play next year. And a, a real disadvantage to me now is I know too much. I wish I didn't know as much as I know right now, because the truth is great players play with quiet minds. Their mind is not on a lot of things. It's on scoring. It's not on club position. It's not on any of these things. And if you teach much, you're thinking about a lot of those things. nobody influenced me to do that. I just felt like I needed to understand the game a little bit more. I didn't even know I, you know, I, I didn't understand the game. And so I started down a path of, let me get to know this game a little bit. You know, I just was kind of participating. Hmm. All of a sudden I was wanting to do more than just participate. Was it immediately like, I think I can make it on tour or I think I can, can do this as a living. Was that, did that happen in that same kind of period in your life then? Uh, no. I would say that I didn't think uh, I could make it on the tour till I was probably a junior in college. I began to think by the time I was a junior in college, I could play the tour. So your motivation then was just, I'm enjoying this, I'm, I'm having fun, I'm learning, or, or what was it? Just getting better every day. You know, I wanted to get better, and I was getting better. I was shooting lower scores and, and getting some recognition around Shreveport and then beyond Shreveport, and it was all just a dedicated effort to understand the game a little bit more than I did and, and work at it diligently. Were there any habits or like things that you did to develop that skill and get really good at a, at a really young age that you can point to and say like, I think that people should do this as well. 
I just tried to hit it more solid and get better every day. It was no specific pattern of yeah. anything. See, you're basing every one of your questions off of what people do today. It's teamwork. It's dedicated. It's a psychologist. It's a PT. It's a, a personal trainer. It's a swing coach. It's it's a dedicated effort of a whole team for an individual sport. Back in those days, it was individual. It was me and me only, basically. So all I had to go on was get a little bit better every day. And guess who was the judge of that? Just me. In today's world, everybody's the judge. So, you know, and, and that makes it difficult because, see, the only person I was trying to please in those days was me. In today's world, you know, you get confused. If you're going to get better, better be the only person you're trying to please is you and one or two other people that you are close confidants. But if you open the, the broad world into the pleasing, oh, my goodness, you've opened up Pandora's box, basically. And because everybody's got an opinion in these world, in the world we live in today, we don't get many facts anymore. We get everybody's opinion. And in my day, I only had one fact, and that was my perceived fact. Was there ever a time when you got stuck and you couldn't get a little bit better? Lots of times. I didn't have anybody to call on. I just dig it out of the dirt. <laughs> just keep trying. Just keep trying. Never give up. And, you know, I never did give up. You know, even when things got terrible, even after I turned professional and player of the year and played really well for about four or five years. And then I decided, you know, I'm, I'm tired of this. You know, everybody's casting their opinion of me and and why I'm not better than I am and everything else. You know, everybody wants to prove their their importance by picking apart everybody else, you know, and they couldn't go out there and do it if they had to. We have a lot more of the story to cover. But I want to get right into some of the concepts and mindsets that helped Hal achieve this success early on, the, the 1980 U.S. Amateur win, PGA Tour Rookie of the Year, the PGA Championship win in 83. And he has talked about and talks about digging it out of the dirt. I want to define that term and what that means to him. That means every waning hour of the day, doing whatever it takes to do it. And you be the judge and you be, this is what I got to do today based on what happened yesterday. That means being light on your feet, making decisions based on yesterday. And that's really what that means. It's no pattern. It's no, okay, I hit 200 balls in the morning. I played 18 holes and then I closed the day out hitting, you know, 75 short shots and 30 minutes of putting. It was nothing like that. And it was just what I needed to do at the time. When I was just me and just my little team of me, you know, I, I chose what we did every day. I didn't have to please anybody else. And I was the judge of whether I was hitting the shot better or not. And basically, when it's simple like that, you're good. Everybody's a good judge of whether they hit the shot better or not as good. After they finish the round, they're a good judge. Well, I played better today than I did yesterday or whatever. But, you know, everybody looks at things differently. You know, when if I were to bring you in as a judge and jury of my game, you know, you'd have your opinion. That's what this is all about. What we're doing right now <laughs> is opinion. And I mean, I'm just giving you mine. I went to school in the morning and I worked till dark every day. So as soon as I got out of class, all my classes were in the morning or at night. And 
all the rest of the daylight hours I was on the golf course or on the range. So all the time. All the time. And a lot of time playing golf. A lot. For every, you know, that's the biggest difference in the way people learn today. They learn, people think they can learn how to play the game on the practice tee with a good golf swing. The golf course teaches us more than anything else or anybody else. The golf course is the teacher. This method and this struggle of finding it yourself is hard. There's a reason that not a lot of people do this. It's far easier to go ask someone and rely on someone else to give you answers. This reminded me of a book and some research from Angela Duckworth. The book is called Grit. It's really good. I recommend picking it up. And one of the concepts that she shared is that talent is distracting. Talent doesn't guarantee achievement because when you see that kid who's you know just a prodigy standout talent-wise as a youth, they don't always continue to separate themselves once their peers catch up and start challenging them. They don't know how to deal with that. They don't have the grit that it takes, the passion and the perseverance that makes the high achievers. So grit, super important. You know you've done it, right? You've done it repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly. And you know you can count on the next one to be there too. That's what grit gives you. If I let someone else do this for me, I'm not sure I can count on that. And that's what the absence of grit. You know, my dad used to tell me all the time, I don't want you to have to walk to school like I had to walk to school. So I'm going to make it easier. I'm going to get you a car. You know, so that's what parents have been doing for a long time is making it easier on their kids. So how much easier do we need to make it to where they have no grit at all? They don't have to do anything. It's just here it is. That's what everybody's looking for right now in the world. You know, here it is. You can buy it. It's for sale right over here. Let me give it to you. It's expensive. It doesn't come to you like that. It doesn't come to you like that. Not this game. You know, all those guys that are really good out there. You know, there's suffering involved in being good. At some point in their career, they suffered. And if they haven't, they will. And how you deal with that suffering, you gain grit from that. Early on in my career, you know, I was, you know, they talked about me being the next Nicholas. You know, that was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me because that invited the whole world. Everybody's got an opinion on whether I'm getting closer to it or further away from it. And all of a sudden, I couldn't even focus on what I thought because I was bombarded with what everybody else thought. Well, you know, I won six or seven times there in the first two or three years, player of the year. And I got so sick of it, I didn't even want to do it anymore. I quit working on my game and started buying cutting horses and riding horses. I I started trying to be a cowboy, you know, and I didn't want to play golf. I played golf as a pastime. And I rode otherwise. You know, I played golf to make money, and I still made money at golf. But I didn't want you to judge me for it because y'all's expectations were were out of – when I say y'all, I mean the world – was out of – I couldn't even comprehend those expectations. You know, it was moving me too fast. And so I walked away from the game, and then I went to ground zero again. And that was in those early 90s, you know. And finally, you know, I had a kid and I wanted those kids, my first child, and I wanted them to see what I used to be able to do and how I used to be able to do it. So I went to work again and I downsized my world 
wouldn't, didn't care what anybody else thought, was quick to tell them that I don't care what you think. <laughs> you know, I'll give you a good for instance of that, Cordy. When I beat Tiger on the night before the last round, the media gave me every reason why I was supposed to lose to him because they didn't really want to see me beat him. You see what I'm They did, but they didn't. So the truth is, I sat in there and I said, you know, I might buy into this, except when I got up from praying this morning, I realized I wasn't praying to Tiger Woods. I was praying to God. So that makes him a man, just like me. So we'll settle this tomorrow on the golf course. You see how they wanted me to buy into their big world? No, I ain't buying into that. I mean, if they can take you into the big world, and then you suffer from it, you know? If you, if you can't handle that. And I couldn't handle it. I didn't need their big world. I didn't want to live in that. So that's what I try to get kids to do. Create proper expectations. Get better at what you're doing every day. You know, not look for gigantic steps of improvement. Small steps of improvement will be adequate. Let's just get better today than we were yesterday. And in a year, you'll wake up and be really good. But if you want really good tomorrow, it's not going to seep through the pillar into your brain and then run through the blood. It's not going to go in that way. Uh, I'd rather teach a kid to run through a brick wall with grit than I had to be perfect. You know, trying to be perfect is daunting. I mean, I don't know. So perfect in who's I? You know, everybody's got a different opinion on perfect. Another mindset that we all deal with is expectations. They're a huge part of every golfer's game. I should hit that green. I, I should shoot in the 70s every time I tee it up. I should have my A game for this important tournament. First of all, you know, I've played golf. I'm 60 years old. I've played golf since I was 11 years old, and I've played it seriously since I was 16 years old. That would make it 44 years I've been playing golf seriously. My A game only existed maybe four or five weeks a year. I would totally agree. How did you manage the rest of the season? How do you manage your B game? Well, you just do whatever you have to do. You do whatever you have to do. You know, you, you figure out what your weakness is and you're trying to work on that and get better. But you still having to play and make money. And, you know, most people don't have their A game all the time, you know. I mean, A game means you're on point and ready to win. You know, Tiger had it more than anybody I've ever seen play the game. And, you know, there's so many other interests in guys' minds today. I mean, they're making so much money. You know, they there's a lot of things to do with that, you know. And back in those days, we didn't make as much money, and we were trying to make more. How much of your motivation would you say was from, like, just when you're there, is it winning the money? Like you just said, you've got to make more. Or how much is it of, of winning or getting a little bit better? What, what would you say about motivation? When I went out there, it was more about winning. And as the money started going up and you were trying to make yourself financially secure for the rest of your life, then it became more about let's maximize what we can. And, you know, I didn't, you know, to me, playing golf is like driving a car. There's a steering wheel, there's a brake, and there's an accelerator. When you're trying to win, you're on the accelerator a lot more than you're on the brake. When you're trying to make money, you're working both. And that's true in modern golf, and that's true. That's, that's been true forever. Guys that are trying to win, they're on the accelerator a lot. 
And when I first went out there, I was on the accelerator a lot. And then opinions and judgment and everything else started setting in. You know, people started writing about me around the world or they write about anybody around the world or they talk on podcast or they talk on TV or wherever they're talking and they're casting judgment. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, yeah, I may get talked about if I ride that accelerator too much. So let me hit the brake a little bit more. See what starts happening. Yeah. Absolutely. What would you change looking back with that, with this knowledge now and this context that you have now, what would you have done differently? I would ride the accelerator a lot more, not give a damn what the rest of the world thought. See, you know, in this world, if you really want to be good, in my opinion, you got to be selfish and not care what the rest of the world thinks. If you begin to care what the rest of the world thinks and you want to give to everybody in the world out there, then you can kiss playing at the highest level goodbye. Because everybody out there wants a piece of you once you start that. And there's not time for everything and to play with your, you called it the A game all the time. Because that A game requires all of your time. One aspect of Hal's story that we have not covered is traditionally what we think of as golf instruction. And you should assume that this would be a really important piece of the puzzle and that maybe this is the most important part of developing skill. But we haven't heard much about that yet. So I wanted to make sure that we understood the role of golf instruction or traditional coaching in Hal's development. I've worked with just about everybody through the course of time, you know, trying to figure out if somebody knew something different that than somebody else did. You know, we're always looking for the secret. There's no secret. There's your secret, whatever your secret is. And I mean, the truth is you better figure out if you want to be a really good player, what your secret is, not the world's secret. You know, there's, it, it hasn't been discovered. It never will be discovered. The key to you being a good golfer is figuring out what your secret is. Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Well, most every teacher thinks they got the secret. I mean, you know, I mean, it's amazing how many teachers go in there and, and you got to do it their way in order for it to be right. See, so you just brought a judgmental person into the game that's going to tell you whether you're right or wrong. And all of a sudden, somebody that's never played any good at all in their life becomes your judge and jury. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, that ain't the way this can, you know, that's just not right. I mean, to me, a good teacher-student relationship is a collaborated effort trying to go the same direction. Both of you open-minded, both of you listening to the other, and the final decision maker on what you do is the student, not the teacher. And, you know, when you find the right guy, it'll feel, instead of like a swimming upstream, it'll feel like it's just supposed to be. If you're always arguing and fighting, you obviously don't think the same thing. So, that's not the right person for you. And that so, doesn't mean that you're wrong necessarily. It means from a student standpoint, you're just, that guy's wrong for you. You know, there was a lot of talk about me working with Jimmy Ballard and I did work with Jimmy Ballard for a while because my college coach wanted to know what Jimmy Ballard knew because there was a hundred touring pros going to Jimmy Ballard at the time. So he used me as his guinea pig to take me down there to see what Jimmy Ballard would say about my golf swing. And then I worked with Jimmy for about you know, five or six years or whatever the case may be. And then off and on from that time, I would periodically go back to Jimmy and see what he had to say. And, you know, that was the first time that I ever really thought about my golf swing. You know, I, I look back and I mean, I liked it when it was more vague to me. And it was, I wasn't 
working on specific things in my golf swing. My body moved better, you know, and all of a sudden I started thinking about where the club position was supposed to be, and all of a sudden my body didn't move as good. You know, once you figure out where the club is supposed to be, you can, if you're a pretty coordinated guy like I am right now, I can put the club where I'm supposed to be. I can actually lift the club, put it where it's supposed to be at the top, and never make a real turn. Well, that won't work. I mean, you look at the club at the top and you say, oh, it's perfect. Well, I didn't turn it to perfect. I put it to turn perfect. You know, complicated game we're talking about here. We can really complicate it. I never really did. The only time I really, really, really worked on what I wanted to work on one was when I was a kid. And then after that, I started working on what everybody else wanted me to. See, I didn't have teachers in their area that could tell me what I needed to do. I just found it. And I believed in myself. I had an inner peace about what I was doing that maybe someone that was being judged every day by someone else needed their critic to tell them it was okay. I didn't need someone to tell me it was okay. I knew when it was okay because I found it myself. And, you know, now... I don't know. You know, kids are taking lessons at an early age, and some of them are taking lessons from people that know something, and some of them are. You know, when I first came down here to Houston, every kid I saw had the fastest lower body I had ever seen in my life, and they had no room or no time. Their arms were way behind their body. And, you know, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that's really what got me into wanting to understand the game better was because everybody's arms were way behind their body. And you know why they got that way? Because they were seeking speed. They were seeking distance. And so they knew that their big muscles, their body was doing it. They all believed that rotation did it. Rotation doesn't do it. If rotation did it, women would be the longest hitters in the game because they got faster hips and faster upper torso. But that's not right. And three-dimensional golf has proven that. We know that. And But yet and still, everybody chases it with the strongest part of their body, which is their legs, usually. And lastly, I want to wrap up with some very solid advice for parents, juniors, coaches who listen, because this is so important, the the idea, the, the mindsets and the strategies that you need to take into this journey that is developing excellence and becoming a high achiever in golf and really in any space that Hal has to share here. Be careful. Parents, be careful. You know, we got helicopter parents everywhere trying to tell kids what to do that don't have any idea of right or wrong. I mean, you know, they're YouTubing it to figure it out. And all of a sudden they're qualified. And the only thing that qualifies them is they're the actual parent. You know, that scares me a lot. I had a helicopter parent before they even named him my dad. And, you know, the only thing that gave him an advantage was he knew me. He didn't know anything about golf, nothing. I was always confused. You know, I wanted to please my dad. He was paying for everything that I was doing. You know, I wanted him to be happy with what I was doing. And that's what every kid finds himself in. I'm trying to please my parents, you know, but sometimes they don't know a whole lot, you know. And, you know, and and parents don't really want to listen to anybody that does. Most of them don't. And every now and then there is a few. So, you know, somehow, I mean, I, I said to... I did a deal, I talked not long ago to a group, and I said, you know, this is your plan for you, and this is your parents' plan for you. And that's about as much as you can hope for right there. They overlap about that much. 
And, you know, if, if you could figure out how to blend a little bit more to where y'all were on the same page, it would be a smoother life working towards the same goals. You know, most parents are afraid to get off of the kid a little bit because they're afraid they'll give up. And to me, it'll save them hundreds of thousands of dollars if they don't have the personal desire and the grit themselves to do it. And if you have to put it in them, this, as soon as you quit trying and putting them in them, then they're going to quit anyway. So you might as well learn that early on rather than late. If they don't want it themselves, they're never going to get it. My dad was very engaged all the time. And, uh, you know, I wanted to go to the University of Houston. He wanted me to go to seminary. So where'd I go? <laughs> seminary. And, you know, constantly, you know, my dad would be 86 in November and I'm 60 years old. And I can just say in the last few years that I stopped worrying about trying to please him. You know, it's, it's been an ongoing process. I wanted him to be happy with what I did, you know, and I'm not sure I made every decision along the way that was in the best interest of how it was more of taking everybody into account. And that's why I'm saying if you can figure out what your perfect is and, and be diligent to that perfect for the rest of your life and surround yourself with people that are chasing that same perfect with you, then you'll be all right. But if everybody's trying to put their perfect on you all the time, it'd be really hard for you to find yours. For a junior golfer, what advice would you give to them? Well, I'd just say communication, communication. You know, most of the time I wasn't allowed to communicate my true feelings to my parents. And there was always a reason that I felt that way or whatever else. You know, I don't think parents are listening to kids sometimes. I think they're, you know, they're, turning a deaf ear, even though they're sitting there acting like they're listening, you know, they got their preconceived ideas of what it's supposed to be. You know, sometimes things went better if there was somebody in between my dad and I, you know, somebody that he kind of had a little confidence in and some, somebody that I had confidence in, if that was a mutual person in that, things went a little smoother. There was a mediator involved. Talk to us about the Academy a little bit and what you're working on there and how people can, can check that out. The Hal Sutton Academy of Golf here at uh, Big Easy Ranch and Chase Cooper. One of the things that I wanted to do was get somebody that I thought was knowledgeable in three-dimensional golf because I really believe that tells us the truth. You know, track man and gears and my swing and things like that, you know, they're not biased. They don't have an opinion. They just quote facts, you know. You can do with it whatever you want to do with it. You know, the truth of the matter is – you got to figure out how you're going to find the solution to what it just told you. And that's the journey. And, you know, it doesn't care right or wrong or anything else. You know, it's not telling you right or wrong. It's just telling you what it is. And you figure out what you do with it from there. And that's kind of what we try to do around here. You know, I tell everybody, we can't mess you up. You know, we're not going to say something that we're on a journey. We got to find out what your perfect is. And we're going to try some things. Some things aren't going to work. I did it every day of my life. I tried a lot of things that didn't work, and guess how long it lasted? Less than 24 hours. I moved on and never messed me up. You know, be like Columbus. Let's go exploring, you know? So you're a big fan of 3D then? That's been one of the things that you really like. I love what it can tell you. I love uh, Trackman tells us a lot of stuff. I love what it tells us. I mean, it doesn't fix you. It identifies some things. I'm not even going to say it identifies problems. It identifies things. We got to figure out whether that's your problem or if that might be your right. What somebody else would say 
is, you know, if you like to hook the ball, well, then you need to be two degrees to four degrees from inside to out. If you like to fade the ball, you better not be two degrees in to out. So, you know, it's just spitting out facts. So we got to decide what we're going to be and who we're going to be. And then we don't care what the rest of the world thinks once we decide that. Wow. This was so much fun sitting down with Hal, talk about his journey and to learn how he achieved success and developed such skill in, in this space of golf. I really enjoyed this. If, if you could say thank you to him on Twitter for joining the podcast and just being so candid and honest, that would be incredible just to let him know that you appreciated hearing from him. I would appreciate that. Uh, if you want to check out what he is up to, HalSuttonGolf.com. You can learn about the academy that they have outside of Houston there. Really cool stuff going on there. If you're listening to the podcast and you are not subscribed, make sure to do that so you can catch all of the episodes coming to you each week now that we have this new series kicked off. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and it was edited, mixed and produced by Just Hit Published Productions. 